Welcome to PSQH the Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talked to Dr. Kent Locklear, Chief Medical Officer of Lightbeam Health Solutions, about the ins and outs of COVID-19 vaccine distribution. And now, on to the interview. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH, and I'm joined today by Dr. Kent Locklear, Chief Medical Officer of Lightbeam Health Solutions. How are you doing, Dr. Locklear? I'm doing great, Jay. Thank you. Excellent. Um, and we're going to talk uh, today about primarily about the COVID-19 vaccine um, and sort of how the distribution is going and, you know, sort of the process and also, you know, the impact that COVID has had on clinician burnout, which is already a huge problem before the pandemic started. So um, to get started, yeah, I just wanted to get sort of your um general assessment on the current state of the COVID-19 vaccine distribution. Yeah, so uh, it's it's been an, a very interesting process and a very interesting, obviously a very uh, challenging and interesting time uh, with respect to the vaccine. So as we all know, the, the development and the uh, approval and then the subsequent, the, the manufacturing of these vaccines did progress much, much faster than we've ever seen before in a, in a vaccine effort. And, you know, there, there certainly is, is credit to be uh, applied to the, the, the uh, Operation Warp Speed um, and the, the efforts of, uh, of those folks who've been involved. Um, and I think many of us in the practice community were, were frankly, um surprised you know for the most part pleasantly surprised that in late november we began to hear that uh we were rapidly approaching the point where uh several of the vaccine manufacturers would be able to um, submit for an emergency use authorization and that and that these vaccines would become available uh, in December. And, uh, you know, I think if you had polled most practicing clinicians, even just a few months prior to that, you would have, you would have got estimates that ranged anywhere from probably, you know, six months to a year uh, at the earliest to get these vaccines out. So, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of positive uh, enthusiasm, positive interest in the practice community to, to get these vaccines. But what we're finding out um, in these, you know, in this first month of distribution. So just to review, the, the Pfizer vaccine was approved. Uh, uh, it was, uh, I think it was around the 10th uh, of December. It was uh, received their emergency use authorization, and that was the final step prior to uh, beginning uh, the distribution process out to the individual states. The Moderna followed, I think, a week later, around the 17th, with their emergency use authorization approval. Um, and the the expectation, as had been outlined to us, was that there was in fact already vaccine distributed 
manufactured, previously manufactured vaccine had already been distributed out to individual state um, holding locations. And, and that uh, this would, you know, facilitate a fairly rapid then localized distribution out to uh, some of the uh, early target sites. Um, and those, those, those early targets were obviously, if you go, if you are familiar at all with the, the phases, so there was a phase one, which was broken down into phase 1A, which were, you know, frontline healthcare workers who were uh, at significant risk for exposure um, to the virus, um, primarily those people working in hospitals and busy clinic settings. Um, and then 1B, which, um, you know, which included, um, um, you know, uh, long-term care facility, uh, both staff and residents. Um, and uh, actually those, those folks would have been a 1A as well. And then the 1B, uh, depending on the state, were, uh, you know, some of your um, most high risk uh, populations. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so we we knew that uh, we knew that the the first uh, the first thrust would be to get uh, get the hospital workers and the um, and the residents and staff of long term care. And as far as I can tell, um, that has gone that first that one A. Uh, phase went reasonably well. Uh, our local hospital here, uh, they began um, administering the vaccine within a few days of that emergency use authorization and the receipt of their first shipments. They began uh, administering the vaccine. Um, and um, I've, I've heard that, um, that many of the long-term care facilities uh, either through the local health department or through the these arrangements that had been made with some of the uh, some of the retail pharmacy uh, organizations, Walgreens and CVS, for example, that those uh, that those facilities and their staff uh, did receive access fairly promptly. But after uh, after that initial, I think what I would call success in those settings. That's where we've begun to see a slowdown and some uh, some uh, uh, delays uh, in in the in the logistics associated with getting the vaccines out into the community. Um, back at the in the late November, early December timeframe, the this. Uh, North Carolina is where I live and practice. Um, so, in addition to the work that I do with Lightbeam, uh, I'm I'm still practicing the medical director of of a safety net organization that's focused on providing health care to the uninsured, to the poor and uninsured. And um, because many of our patients are uh, are part of high-risk subpopulations uh, within our community, so the poor and un- uninsured, um, the undocumented uh, population, the homeless, be- because the free and charitable clinic network um, 
takes care of some of these marginalized and at-risk populations. The state of North Carolina approached uh, the State Association of Free and Charitable Clinics and, and asked if, if they could organize uh, our group, our network, to be one of the early recipients of the vaccine. Uh, our particular clinic, the Cape Fear Clinic here in Wilmington, North Carolina, we're, we're one of the more advanced clinics in the network. We already have a very aggressive vaccine program. We're, uh, we run a medical home model, so we're open, uh, you know, uh, five days a week and have uh, coverage arrangements. Um, and uh, we're a PCMH certified. So we're, we're very well positioned to execute a vaccine programs. So we obviously raised our hand, said we're ready. Uh, we were initially told that we could expect to receive Moderna vaccine. We, we don't have the storage capacity uh, uh, to handle the Pfizer vaccine. So the Moderna was a logical fit for us. Mm -hmm. We were told to expect to receive our first shipments uh, no earlier than the very end of December, perhaps the last few days of December, but certainly by early January. Um, but unfortunately, the, the time frames have slipped. Um, and, um, and so uh, we, we, we had to pivot. Um, we were expecting our first shipments to be used to vaccinate our own staff. Um, and that staff includes not only our employed uh, staff, but um, but we rely heavily on uh, because of the nature of our organization, we rely heavily on volunteer uh, providers, both nurses and physicians. And many of our volunteers are retired, so they're they're in the high risk population. Many of our volunteers, certainly almost all of them, are over sixty five. Many of them over seventy five. So they've, they've been unable to practice since uh, since February or March of this year. They're all very, very eager to get back in here. They're dedicated uh, to uh, continuing to serve. And so we were very eager to get them in and use our first uh, shipment to, to get those folks vaccinated. We had to pivot, however, because of the delays. And we uh, we were able to get our uh, folks vaccinated through the local health department okay. uh, late December. Um, but, but we are also equally eager to start uh, targeting our at-risk population and contribute to the vaccine uh, administration effort for the community as a whole. But there, the delays have been persistent. Um, and we have yet to receive notification of the first delivery of our own shipments. So again, as a result of that, and here we are in the second half of December, and we do feel that there's some urgency in getting this vaccine program you know, fully deployed. So we, we have been working with our local health department, who we partner with often, and uh, last week, they approached us and articulated that they have more supply. So they have more supply of vaccine coming in than they have capacity to administer within 
uh, their established venues. So the problem is that using the, the rules, the protocols and guidelines that they've established for the safe distribution of the vaccine or administration of the vaccine, so social distancing, having um, a waiting period after the vaccine is administered just to monitor for any early complications, um, that limits their, um, their capacity. And they have apparently more supply than they have uh, slots available uh, over the course of a week uh, to uh, administer. So what we're going to begin this coming week is they will be sharing vaccine um, allotments with us. So we will receive our first allotment this Wednesday. Uh, currently, the health department has Pfizer vaccine. So we will we will uh, we will pick up our allotment on Wednesday. It has to be thawed and reconstituted. And once that happens, you can store it. You can store it in a refrigerated um, setting for up to five days. So we will administer all of the that vaccine Thursday and Friday of this week. So we've already begun scheduling our at-risk patients. So at, in North Carolina, uh, we're at the stage where we're um, targeting any individuals over the age of 65 or any uh, remaining frontline healthcare workers who are unvaccinated. So we will begin that process on Wednesday of this week with receiving the vaccine. We will have uh, vaccine clinic running all day Thursday and all day Friday. And, and we fully expect to completely utilize all of that first allotment. So we're very excited. Um, and uh, this will be, uh, be our, our first, uh, uh, you know, our first exposure uh, to, uh, to, to this particular vaccine, but uh, I'm expecting it all to go well. And, and we hope to ex expand this partnership so that not only can we vaccinate our at-risk population, but we can assist the health department uh, in, in uh, expanding their capacity. So we will, we will offer our location uh, as one of the sites for ongoing vaccination. Um, and hopefully, uh, as we expand capacity that the that the shipments of the uh, vaccine will keep up. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a change in the administration this Wednesday. Um, there will then, of course, be a change in the leadership of this effort, the COVID vaccine distribution effort at the federal level. Hopefully, that's not going to cause, uh, I think they've had uh, uh, perhaps not as uh, not as fluid a uh, tra uh, transition. Perhaps uh, per, um, we're hoping hoping that it's been adequate enough for them to hit the ground running, um, and for uh, and for us to then see a more reliable, steady flow of both the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine uh, coming out to the local uh, to the local level. Um, I'm 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 positive. I'm feeling um, that, that we are going to pick up momentum 
it's it's in, and as everyone knows, it's incredibly important that this happen as um, as quickly and efficiently as possible because it certainly uh, we, we're seeing these very, very high numbers of hospitalizations, very high numbers of uh, morbidity and mortality around the country. And this is our best opportunity to stem that tide is to uh, to get the community broadly vaccinated. Um, and, and I'm encouraged that we're on the right path for that, uh, despite uh, some of the um, uh, some of the um, delays that we've seen here recently. Yeah, and, and I imagine a lot of the delays and issues are just this is such a new, you know, and, and like you mentioned, is such a, you know, the, the, it was a very accelerated process. And then, you know, uh, ramping it up so quickly is also new for, you know, everybody, especially all these communities. So I imagine it's just, you know, learning on the go, um, you know, just to, to get it done. Jay, you're absolutely right. Um, in the last, what, 40 years, 50 years, 50 years now, our vaccine efforts have been much less urgent. So, you know, new vaccines have been produced, protocols are uh, delineated and distributed, um, and, and they become part of sort of the routine preventive care uh, of uh, of practices around the country and globally, it really has really been since polio that we've had this kind of an urgent um, effort that that required um, you know a high level of coordination, a high level of uh, effort in order to um, you know, get the the vaccine uh, manufactured, um, you know, processed, packaged, distributed, and administered um, in, in in this kind of a short, urgent time frame. So yes, it is all new, uh, even for an organization like ours that's that's very experienced with you know vaccine administration programs there's there just hasn't been this sort of urgency yeah. nor nor the requirement that we get that we eventually get to the entire population um, you know most of the vaccine programs that that we have currently are are targeted to specific either by age or by risk factor uh, they're targeted to certain populations. Um, and, uh, you know, you have your childhood vaccines, you have uh, your adult vaccines. Uh, some are more, more uh, broadly uh, targeted. Some are focused on high-risk individuals. Um, but um, we, we have only, in, in terms of, you know, things that we do routinely, the flu vaccine is really the only other vaccine that we try to, you know, administer broadly, uh, you know, across the entire population, age irrespective. Um, and and usually we have a, a lot more, we have lead time, we have right. a window of opportunity to, to distribute that. Um, this is, we're trying to compress 
uh, this into um, you know a much uh, more uh, a much more focused and uh, and broad effort. So it is a challenge, um, and and it's not unexpected to have some uh, some complications. Um, I, I do. Uh, I am encouraged by what we're hearing from the new administration. Uh, the goal to have a hundred million doses um, available, a uh, hundred million folks vaccinated um, in in the first hundred days. If we can do that, uh, I heard a commentary this morning that that'll be a heavy lift from 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 some individual involved in the process, and it will be a heavy lift. But I think it's it's the right sort of uh, ambitious target to have, and and we stand at the ready to support that um, that kind of effort. Um, is it unusual to have so many different vaccines? I mean, I know we have two already approved and in use, and there's possibly three more on the way from different uh, manufacturers. Is that unusual, or is that kind of a normal thing uh, from an well, administration um, standpoint? With 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 most vaccines, uh, there there are more than one uh, manufacturer for for almost all the vaccines, particularly the newer vaccines. Um, there are usually uh, at least two, sometimes three options. Um, but to have um, to have this sort of um, uh, situation that we have now, where there are I think there are at least five or six um, uh, different, um, you know, uh, well-qualified large, um, you know, large-scale manufacturers um, who are uh, who are in some stage of uh, development or distribution. Yeah, that's that's unusual, um, and I think that it's you know. I think that this has been driven by just the the worldwide um, uh, uh, what's the right term the the worldwide pandemic. It's uh, it, it's affecting um, our our country, our continent, the European continent, the Asian continent, the African continent, South America, uh, the the South American continent. It's global. And it would be a challenge for even two or three of these, even though they're large scale manufacturers, it would be a challenge for just two or three of those to meet right. that kind of need. Um, there, uh, you know, I don't know what, to what degree economics um, play in this. Uh, I'm sure it, it's a role. It plays a role in, uh, in, in the, um, both the development, the uh, the manufacturing, and then um, and then the uh, the revenue associated with uh, with this effort. Um, you know, you can you, you only have to look at the stock market uh, to see uh, that Moderna uh, has uh, has as a company has done very well in terms of their in terms of their uh, uh, market capitalization um as their effort has progressed and be and come to fruition so you know whether 
whether that's a, been a big factor in the number of um, uh, number of companies we've seen um, involved in this effort. Um, but I do like to think that first and foremost, it's an effort to try to address it from a uh, from a public health standpoint and to contribute to the uh, to the um, resolution of this pandemic. And you know, with these efforts going on, and obviously, like you said, you know, as we sort of move along, we're gonna things are gonna pick up steam. When you know, what's your gut feeling about when you know the vaccination will start making a difference in terms of getting the pandemic under control? Um, that's that's a very very good question. That's like the sixty four thousand dollar question. <laughs> I want more money uh, for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if, if over the next, let's say if over the next month we can surmount some of the bottlenecks and I, I do believe, I do believe that the, there are bottlenecks out there. I think it, I think there has been more than sufficient manufacturing, at least everything you read and hear. Um, and that we're, in, as I mentioned, we're trying to ramp up our capacity for administration. Um, and so, if we can, if we can systematically find and address these logistical bottlenecks um, over the next month, and that we can, um, we can then uh, begin to move down the. Uh, down the phases fairly aggressively. So moving from, you know, 1A and 1B to two, uh, then to three. And once we get to three, you know, we're, we're, we're really getting out there, um, you, you know, into the general population. Right. Um, if, if we can see that over the next month, if we can see these bottlenecks addressed, um, you know, you've got the, you've got the series for most of these vaccines. So you give the first and you have to wait at least three weeks. And then the recommendation is that, or the, or the data suggests that it's a week or 10 days after that to get, you know, the full benefit of the, um, of the vaccine uh, immunity. Um, so that would say that, you know, okay, um, maybe end of February, um, um, then you get to the end of March. So maybe by April, maybe by April, um, we could see that there is sufficient, uh, sufficient distribution and administration to really begin to uh, see a dramatic downturn in things like hospitalization and morbidity uh, and mortality. Um, so, uh, so what is that from now? That's, uh, two and a half months. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say, and, and this is consistent with, I think, you know, what you're hearing out there in the various uh, communities is that, that we are in for a couple more months of really difficult times, um, you know, where, if if folks really don't ramp up their compliance with the guidelines, uh, wearing masks uh, consistently, 
um, compulsively um, and social distancing and staying uh, away from uh, gatherings where you can have these uh, you can have this significant spread um, even you know amongst uh, you know asymptomatic or, or minimally symptomatic individuals we just have to we have to all contribute uh, otherwise we're going to see this persistent um, pressure on the healthcare system and we're going to see the death toll continue to rise, which is unnecessary and unfortunate. Um, and, and so that, you know, that gets to, I think, you know, your second, the, the second uh, thrust of your questions, and that is on burnout. Yeah. And so we're, we're seeing burnout in, in a number of ways. So first and foremost, we're, we're, we're it's, it's just, a tremendous amount of pressure on uh, those members of the healthcare system that are working in the hospitals, in the emergency rooms, the ICUs, uh, the expanded units that are being deployed to try to accommodate the heavy load. These these individuals. Uh, they're past burnout already. They're into, uh, you know, the kind of persistent high stress environment that uh, that no one should have to um, endure. Uh, they are, uh, to their credit, they are they are uh, sticking with it th throughout these challenges. But we 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 will owe a lot to them, and and hopefully, as we. Uh, as we see the numbers begin to recede, that we can support these individuals in whatever uh, means are necessary uh, to give them some time to recover. So that that really goes even beyond burnout. What what we're seeing in terms of the next level down, which is you know the the healthcare workers, the nurses, the physicians, the support staff uh, that are having to basically stay on alert, uh, alert for um, for uh, subtle cases. Um, you know, so when when people uh, come in, perhaps for some other problem, um, and they report even subtle symptoms or report a potential exposure, uh, having to stay alert to those, uh, the, to those kinds of situations, both to prevent, uh, you know, spread and exposure within the, the healthcare setting, but also to try to interrupt, to, to try to appropriately test uh, individuals and to interrupt um, the possibility of uh, additional spread. So you've got that element. You've got you've got the the added pressure of so each time you have uh, contact contact in whatever healthcare setting, uh, an outpatient office, uh, a lab setting, a radiology setting, um, having to be compulsive with mask wearing, having to uh, maintain the appropriate uh, 
social distancing while still delivering the kind of quality service that the patients need and deserve for their uh, evaluations. Um, and then having to um, having to maintain a, a, a persistently uh, disinfected environment through, you know, uh, wiping down, uh, uh, using uh, the, the various um, antiviral cleaners. Uh, it's it just, you know, it just adds um, a, a level of uh, attention, a level of persistent, a low-grade stress, and that's that's where you really begin to see the effects of uh, of burnout uh, in its more traditional sense, where you know folks are already sort of maxed out with the the kinds of services that we provide on a routine basis, uh, all of the um, all, all of the EMR work, all of the persistent paperwork, all of the uh, follow-up uh, challenges, um, that's all uh, That's all there. Uh, we have now the added, now all these additional added burdens associated with uh, both, both di uh, diagnosing uh, COVID and preventing uh, unintended spread. So um, it, 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 is a, it is a challenge. Um, and, uh, and, and I think all of us will be very thankful and, you know, if, if April or March, April, May, whenever, whenever the time comes that we really begin to see that, that dramatic trend downward, uh, I think none of us can see that soon enough. And no doubt. Um, what have organizations been doing to, to help reduce burnout as much as they can? Well, it's, you know, if, you, if we go to scenario one, which is, you know, where the really high stress is, I mean, it's, it's, it's very difficult because it's almost like you're trying to, you're, you're trying to um, make repairs uh, to the plane and it's in mid-flight. I mean, how are you going to do that? Um, it, it's, it, it really is, is, is difficult. Early, if you think back to early last um, last spring and into the summer, you know we had these th these efforts where um, healthcare workers from areas that had not been heavily affected uh, were able to you know all get on a bus or a plane and and fly to, you know coordinate and fly to an area where they could provide relief at least temporarily. But as the virus spread, well, then it moved into those communities. Um, and as the numbers came down in places like New York and New Jersey, well, that, those folks were still sort of cleaning up from, from those early, uh, very, very uh, high demand days. They, there's not any opportunity for them to necessarily step back or mm -hmm. to, in a sense, return the favor. And now we have spread to you know areas that previously um, did not have uh, have high, such high numbers and and so we've seen this sort of this cyclic sort of wave where um, where uh, areas that initially weren't that heavily affected became in, uh, more so we saw a little break perhaps during the middle of the year but then 
as we got into the cooler weather, got into the holidays now, uh, it's pretty widely distributed. So, um, so I don't really know that there's a lot that can be done right now. As I said, we're sort of in mid-flight. I don't know yeah. how you how you provide anything meaningful. I think we have to we have to support these these folks in whatever ways are available. But um, but in terms of a major uh, major relief, I don't know that that's really in the cards. And and the same for the vigilance and the and the activities that are are required in that second level of uh, of COVID influence. Um, <clears throat> I think that um, you know I think and this is what I've this is what I've told our own staff is that you know this is this is one of the times uh, where we have to we have to. Uh, rely on and um, and look back on all elements of our training and experience. Um, we have to support one another in terms of, um, like in our clinic, um, we 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 try to um, we we have a protocol for folks who who call in and we we think there there's a high risk that they have been exposed. So we have a protocol. We have a different door that we use, we have a different process that we use uh, to, um, to triage them and to uh, handle them so that they, there's not a risk of exposure to other patients or, the, or uh, most of the staff. And we try to rotate those responsibilities. Um, we try to be very organized, have all our supplies readily available, um, but we we try to rotate those responsibilities, um, and uh, we're also when when uh, when the opportunity presents, uh, I'm encouraging uh, our staff to take advantage of their time off. Um, if we have uh, if we look at the schedule and there's, uh, a, for example, a light day later this week. I'll encourage some of our staff, maybe you should take a half day. I am trying to get them out, uh, give them plenty of opportunity uh, to, um, uh, to get um, regenerated, revitalized, um, and uh, we'll continue that sort of a rotating effort um, throughout. Um, and then at some point, at some point we will be able to take a deep breath and to look at this in the rearview mirror. And I think we'll need to do things. We'll need to celebrate our successes um, and we'll need to have time to to debrief and to to look at what we could do better um, the next time. And that's that's sort of globally what 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 we can do differently as a society uh, to try to uh, be uh, better uh, better stewards uh, of our our own health and our neighbor's health. Um, try to understand some of the reluctance and resistance to following the guidelines. That we really need to look at that as a society. That seems to me self-defeating and and frankly Ill, just illogical. Particularly since the guidelines are not that demanding to wear a mask and to pay attention to how you're interacting with people. I don't think that's a heavy ask. Uh, it's quite, uh, I think it's quite manageable. 
So we need to look at some of the things that have prevented that. Um, and then as a healthcare system, you know, what can we do uh, to be better prepared in terms of not only in terms of supply chain, but in terms of staffing and all of those um, all of those things that have been exposed. Um, and, uh, you know, I wish I had a better answer for today, um, but uh, I think it's again, it's the analogy of, you know, you're trying to repair um, uh, the airplane in mid-flight. Yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, we'll get it repaired uh, sooner rather than later. Um, I want to thank you so much, uh, Dr. Lockler, for joining me today. Really appreciate it. Well, I'll just leave your audience with this. I, I am encouraged that we have uh, we have reached a critical uh, point in this effort that I think the worst is behind us. Um, I do believe that we will we will uncover some of these bottlenecks. We will get the vaccine out efficiently and effectively, and we'll begin to see uh, the kind of availability in the system uh, to get uh, broad numbers of folks vaccinated uh, fairly quickly. I'm also encouraged that we're we're not seeing the kind of vaccine hesitance and vaccine anxiety and resistance uh, that was discussed. I think as as people see their neighbors get the vaccine and do it safely, they're encouraged to get their own and I, I would support I would support that ongoing effort. So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk and um, and um, and uh, best of luck to everyone. Thank you so much. That wraps up episode 23 of PSQH, the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time. You can find more information about the podcast and listen to on-demand episodes on the show's page on psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks again, and stay safe.